comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 17, and I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a, dis at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look towards heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. People were bringing babies to Jesus so that he would bless them. When the disciples saw this, they scolded him. And then Jesus called them to him and said, Allow these children to come to me. Don't forbid them, because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever does not welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I guess it wasn't even for y'all because the microphone's like... So, um, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Thanks for being here the Sunday after Easter because this, of all Sundays of the year, is a Sunday that people take off. So it's only the super spiritual and committed that are here today. Right? I know it doesn't actually work that way. But we all say things contrary to way, the way we know the world actually works. So before I say anything else that is contrary to the way I know the world works, please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, because God, you are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So picking up on saying things contrary to the way the, I know the world works, I learned this week why 2020 was such a horrible year. Do you want to know? Because in 2019, hammer pants made a comeback. And if you don't know what hammer pants are, search it up, and it'll kill your phone. Honestly, though, however wrong MC Hammer was about the pants, there's no denying that he was right about prayer. Because you remember his song, right? You got to pray just to make it today. And that was 31 years ago it was right. It's even more right now. You've got to pray to make it today. Can you imagine life without prayer? Can you imagine going into the world today, facing everything that the world has today without prayer? So then I could ask, how's your prayer life? Except I know, because Os Guinness wrote this years ago, that 
the sure way to humble anybody is to ask them how their prayer life is because nobody's satisfied with their prayer life, right? Or if you ever meet somebody who says they are satisfied with their prayer life, you're instantly skeptical of their prayer life. So, how's your prayer life? I said that a second time just so I could say this. Oops, I did it again. And because I, I, I want to help you improve your prayer life. I, I want to improve my own prayer life. Because we have to have prayer lives to follow Jesus. Which is really a long way of saying you got to pray just to make it today. So prayer humbles people, right? You can't talk about your prayer or somebody else's prayer without it humbling people. Except that guy in this scripture that Julia just read. I mean, he wasn't humble in his prayer. He was thanking God that he's not like everybody else. I mean, who would pray that? If I'm honest with you, I'll confess, I have caught myself, usually too late, I've caught myself giving thanks that I'm not like either everybody else or somebody. Usually, honestly, I have somebody specific in mind. And if I'm the only one here, then you're dismissed, you all may go. Good, that's what I thought. So if you've ever caught yourself praying this way, God, like, like this guy in, in Luke 18, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like everybody else. And then you, you lay out for God all the wonderful things you do. <laughs> uh, even if that's you, even if most of your prayers are that way, I'm not condemning you because Romans 8.1 says that there's no condemnation for anybody who's in Christ Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not throwing any condemnation. Perhaps a healthy sense of conviction because, again, I want to, to help you improve your prayer life and I want to improve my prayer life. But I also want to drop this little reminder. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're even trying to be a follower of Jesus, if you're curious enough about being a follower of Jesus, you're still listening, I want you to hear this. There's no condemnation for you. So then, we want to follow Jesus. We want to learn this way of life that actually empowers us to see the world through the lens of the empty tomb so that we can know the power of God over fear and over sin and over death all the time. So I'm assuming you would like to know this power. And this power is something that's available to us because God raised Jesus from the dead. So this Sunday and the next five Sundays, so every Sunday between the first Sunday of Easter, which is Easter, and the Sunday of Pentecost, which is May 25th, we're going to identify um, a specific practice in living as people who follow Jesus. Because if you haven't noticed, it takes practice to follow Jesus. Following Jesus isn't a one-and-done thing. Now, there, have been, there, there are strains within American Christianity, there are strains within Christianity around the globe that, that would have us believe that all one has to do is kneel and say a particular prayer, and then everything's good, and they would, they would have us believe that either after, after you've said that prayer, it all becomes easy, or maybe after you've said that prayer, there's really nothing else required. But following Jesus isn't a one-and-done thing. Following Jesus is a rest-of-our-life thing. Because what kind of God would make the offer of 
yeah, just say this prayer one time and everything else is taken care of. Not our God. Not the God who conquered fear and sin and death in the crucifixion and the resurrection. So God wants us to have this abundant life with much joy, with, with forgiveness, with forgiveness of our sins and thus the ability to forgive the sins of others. Which means if we catch ourselves like that guy in Luke 18 praying, thank you God that I'm not like everybody else. And here's the genius of what Jesus did there. Did you catch this? Because we read about this story of this guy praying, thank you, God, that I'm not like everybody else. And most of us have at least a subtle inclination to say, man, I'm glad I'm not like him. Which makes us like him. Which means we got to listen to what Jesus has to say. Sometimes we tell ourselves, well, it's okay because God forgives me, or Jesus has already forgiven me. And sometimes then we pray, God, forgive me for what I'm about to do. I would dare say to you and to me that if we ever catch ourselves praying, God, forgive me for what I'm about to do, that's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to kind of give you one of those aqua velva slaps, and maybe don't do that thing you're asking God to forgive you for what you're about to do. But we know God forgives. We know God forgives more than 70 times seven times. But the life that God is offering us through the empty tomb and the cross gives us the ability to leave the tired, old, broken way of living behind. So for six weeks, I want to invite you to practice. Today, practice prayer. I want to invite you to practice prayer. You know, the, there, there's a joke about attorneys and lawyers that they're always practicing as if they're not ever, like, getting to the point that they just are a doctor. I'm always practicing being a doctor. But you only get better if you practice. So I invite you today to practice prayer. Each of the next five Sundays, I'm going to invite you into another practice. Um, another word for these is, of course, discipline. We know them sometimes as the spiritual disciplines. But sometimes the word discipline can sound kind of heavy and maybe even coercive. And so I'm going to call them practices because I want to invite you to practice these elements of following Jesus. And there, there are many more than six, but we have six Sundays in the season of Easter, so that's why we chose six. We didn't choose the top six. You can pick any or all of them to practice. We're going to focus on simply six of them. And I would number them out for you, but I'm sure I'd pull a Rick Perry and forget the last one. So, let me just share some of the disciplines or the practices that are available beyond the ones that we're talking about. Okay, I'm going to try the six. Today is prayer. Next week is fasting. The week after that is Sabbath. The week after that is self-awareness, and then worship, and then hospitality. So, prayer, fasting, Sabbath, self-awareness, worship, and hospitality are the six that we're focusing on. One of the books I have about spiritual disciplines or practices divides them into um, disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of practice. So there, there are things that we do habitually to create habits in ourselves to follow Jesus, and there are things that we stop doing. And to stop doing something that's already a habit 
takes practice. So disciplines of abstinence are solitude, silence, that's probably even without your phone, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, and sacrifice. Disciplines of engagement are study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, and submission. And again, we're focusing on the six we're focusing on, not because they're the most important, but because we only have six Sundays, and those are the ones that we chose to share with you, the ones that we invite you to practice specifically. And we're going to call them practices more than disciplines, although I want to share this hopefully rehabilitative word about spiritual disciplines. Um, one of the greatest books, I think, written in the last hundred years anyway, about spiritual disciplines or the practices of following Jesus is Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, which sounds kind of ironic, doesn't it? I mean, nobody throws a party for discipline. But he defines this early on. First, I want you to know Richard Foster's a Quaker. Quakers are not known for, for strictness and meanness. So he defines discipline this way. Discipline is the ability to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Which is probably why all the things that we think of as discipline, as, you know, as, as drill sergeant E, or as things you're forced to do repetitively over and over again, are really practices so that one is able to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. So... The first discipline, the first practice that we're going to focus on is prayer. Because you got to pray to make it today. So just seven chapters before what Julia read for us in, in Luke 18, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus' disciples ask Jesus himself to teach them how to pray. And you know what he said. You know that's where we get Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, or if you were raising in the Catholic world, the Our Father. You also know that I'm going to read the version from the Common English Bible, so it won't be the version that we all have memorized. And I know that's really grating to some people, especially if I were dare to ask you to say it with me, because that's not the way we say it. I preached on the Lord's Prayer one time, and I even told everybody the week before, listen, as a congregation, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer differently next week, so I want you to know that. I want you to have a heads up. Before we said the Lord's Prayer in that service that Sunday morning, I said, we're saying it differently. We're using a different translation from the Bible. So I want you to know this. You have to read it. Because if you take your eyes off the words, and for most of us, even if we see words that are different, our brains kind of flip into, oh, it's the Lord's Prayer, and we go on autopilot. And in one of the connection cards I got, I was reading through them after the service, someone said, Never do that again. Don't mess with the Lord's Prayer. So here's the common English Bible version of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring your kingdom. Give us bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For lines of the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Not in Luke. In fact, that last part, it's not in anywhere, actually. But I, I want to say 
Jesus wasn't telling them or us that every time you pray, you pray these words exactly as they are and no other words. But this is one thing that we as a church, because we're good at disagreeing with one another, aren't we? This is one of those things that we as a church, and I don't know this congregation well enough to know that we've had prayer wars here, so I hope I'm not opening a landmine. I guess you don't open landmines. Okay, forget that whole line of metaphor and we'll just go on. In some Christian traditions, you don't say the Lord's Prayer because it's recited, it's words somebody else has, and unless you say words of prayer extemporaneously as they flow out of your soul, it's not really prayer. And in other traditions, there's so much emphasis on things like the Lord's Prayer and or praying the Psalms and praying the, the prayers that other saints have written in the last 2,000 years. There's so much of that, that that people almost don't even learn to pray using their own words. And I say, if we're going to fight about that, we are not following Jesus. So it seems clear, Jesus was teaching, use that as a, as a model prayer, as an example for this is how to pray. You can pray the exact words of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 or Luke 11. You can pray them in Matthew 6 or Luke 11 in any translation of the Bible you want. Even, thank you, um, Bible apps, you can even pray the Lord's Prayer in a translation of a language that you don't even understand. God will not be offended. You can also never pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. Follow that as a model to learn how to pray and pray thusly. You can also ignore all that and just pray like some of the psalmists did with stuff flowing out of their hearts that if we were to see that written in poetry today, we would say, you can't pray that, that's offensive. It is. Because the psalms are full of prayers of people just letting their hearts flow before God. And God doesn't get offended. God doesn't stop any of the psalmists from saying, you, you really can't say that. Because God wants to know what's on their hearts, and God wants to know what's on our hearts. You can listen to my prayers, or Kennedy's prayers, or Julia's prayers, or James' prayers, or Jeff's prayers. You can listen to your Sunday school teacher's prayers, although... On the topic of listening to prayers, I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer years ago wrote that the more we pray for people to hear the words of our prayers, the less God hears them. So it's okay for you to listen to my prayers. It's not okay for me to pray to make you want to listen to my prayers, which seems like a really interesting and odd challenge, but I promise you it almost always comes to my spirit when I'm praying aloud. So you can pray any of those things, none of those things, in languages you understand, in languages you don't, and it still be prayer. There's this story among the desert mothers and fathers. There's many stories among the desert mothers and fathers. But there, a lot of them include that, that they would memorize the Psalms. Some of you know the Psalms by... That's the longest book in the Bible. There's 150 of those. If you know that, you may also know Psalm 119 alone has 176 verses. 
And I'm not telling you you are required to memorize any of the Psalms, but the Psalms, as I said, are written as prayers. Many of them were originally set to music, but they were, they were sung and spoken as prayers. You can memorize the Psalms if you want to offer your prayers to God because whatever you're feeling, whatever experience of life you're going through, there's at least one Psalm that will resonate with exactly where you are in life. In fact, I was reminded of this at drive through prayer on Wednesday of this week. A woman stopped by, and it was almost 9 o'clock, but you'll know. Our volunteers that were at drive through prayer on Wednesday did not look at their watch and say, I'm sorry, ma'am, it's too late. We're packing up. One good thing about drive through prayer. So this woman got out of her car and shared that she'd like us to pray with her because she had a custody hearing that coming Friday morning, so this last Friday morning. And I don't know if you've been anywhere near divorce, but custody hearings can be even more grueling and brutal than the divorce itself. So we gladly heard some of her story and prayed with her. Jenny offered the prayer, and then afterwards, the woman told us that every night when she goes to bed, she reads Psalm 3, 4, and 5 because they bring her comfort and hope. The Psalms are wonderful for prayer. I was encouraged as Jenny prayed. One of the things I'm encouraged about at drive through prayer is if you're there as a volunteer and somebody stops by and asks for prayer, you are never put on the spot to have to pray. Even the preacher is not put on the spot to have to pray. But if you want to lead in prayer, you are more than welcome to lead in prayer. So as Jenny prayed for her, I noticed that she prayed for the father of the 11-year-old that this woman was going into court into a custody battle with. And I appreciated that because another thing that the desert mothers and fathers said was, you can start your prayer any way you want, and God may or may not listen to you right away. But if you want God's attention right away, you start with praying for your enemies. If you pray for your enemies, which Jesus told us to do, they said, God will listen. Now, there's not biblical authority that God only listens to your prayers if you start with praying for your enemies. But I have it on good experience as well that prayer works uh, much more quickly if I start with praying for my enemies. And my main memory of that is I used to, a long time ago, almost every Sunday morning, start very early in the day with praying for my enemy. At the time, and if she sees this, let me finish the story. At the time, in this story, my enemy was my, ex, was my wife, my, my first wife. And we weren't really enemies, but it almost never failed that Sunday mornings, before I would have to leave for church, we'd get into a fight about something. The worst fights that we have that I remember were Sunday mornings. And I would get in my car, because i got to be there, you know, we got to start things going, because it's church professionals day. And I would remember this. you got to pray for your enemies, so I would pray for her. And of course, I did, like many of us, I hope, do when we pray for our enemies, God Help my enemy see it my way that I'm right. Again, if you've never prayed for your enemies that way, you're dismissed. You're free to go. Before I would get all the way down North Street to the church in Nacogdoches, because I had opened my prayer, because of the fact that I actually prayed, God help my wife see things my way, I opened myself to the Spirit's wisdom and wooing that 
you know, I shouldn't admit this because I'm on the internet, I'm not always 100% right. And there's something about going into prayer that helps me get to a place of admitting I'm not always 100% right and living with not being 100% right. Because God doesn't require me to be 100% right. God doesn't require you to be 100% right. God doesn't say, you didn't pray with the right words. I'll come back tomorrow. God welcomes our prayers. And it helps us when we pray to start with praying for our enemies. Pick one to start with. Now, you might know, okay, we're inviting you to practice your prayer this week. Practice prayer. Practicing prayer will take time. It may not be for you as we early seminarians were afraid it would have to be for us that John Wesley would get up at like 4 a.m. and start every day with, with two hours of prayer and an hour of Bible reading. In my first week at seminary, somebody shared, yeah, but they don't tell you how early he went to bed. So that was a little relieving. But there's still this, this thing, if you talk about prayer, there's a lot of opportunity for guilt or for shame and for beating ourselves up and feeling defeated. So practicing prayer will take time. So how are you going to give it some time? This is entirely up to you. You can do it the way you want. If you're not a morning person, I do not recommend deciding right now you're going to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and spend an hour in prayer. Because if, if you're not a morning person and you decide tomorrow to get up at 4 a.m., you'll be asleep by 4.05. God gets that. Maybe reading the Psalms 3, 4, and 5 as, before you go to bed is a better answer for you. So it will take time. I'm not here to tell you how it should take your time. You can pray memorized prayers, prayers you learned years ago. The Lord's Prayer would be one of those. Psalm 23 may well be one of those for you. You can pray read prayers. You can read other people's prayers. We have in the foyer, I use these old ones because I, I will forget to put these back in the window, and I don't want anybody to lose their chance to get the copy for January and February. Um, Upper room devotional guides have prayers in them. You may pray these prayers. They're not only in print form, they're online. There are prayers all over the internet. You may pray other red prayers. You may also not have your head bowed and your eyes closed when you pray. Because again, if you're not a morning person and you get up early in the morning and you think prayer has to start with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you're going back to sleep. You can pray while you drive. Please do not bow your head and close your eyes if you pray while you drive. You, you can set your prayers to motion. If you get up and walk in the morning or if you walk sometime during the day, pray as you walk. You can even do some praying to the rhythm of your steps. Some of the Psalms were written to rhythm. And if you're praying as you walk your neighborhood... Offer prayers for people whose houses you drive by, whether you know them or not. Most of all, please lighten up on yourself about prayer. If you catch yourself saying, oh, God, God, I'm sorry, I lost focus. Because you lost focus for a few seconds or a minute or an hour 
or you're off for lunch now and you had started your prayer before you started the day, God is not condemning you for losing focus in your prayer. God will welcome you back whenever you come back. So when we pray, when we practice praying, it doesn't take long before we find we see the world differently. If you start with praying for your enemies, it won't take long before you see your enemy differently and you see the world differently. When we pray, we, we see the lost as people who God deeply loves. When we pray, we see the broken as people to whom God offers healing. And they might, only, they might only come to know that God offers them healing through us. And when we pray, we see God as someone who helps us think differently and see the world differently. And we see ourselves as people who are being changed by the grace of God when we pray. And we stop seeing the bad things in the world as some kind of divine payback for hammer pants or for whatever we make up. And instead, we see what's going on in the world as opportunities for God's love to be shared by us if we pray, when we pray. Let us pray. God, open us to your presence, to your love, to seeing the world through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb. We give ourselves to you, God, as your people. You've called all of us to follow Jesus. Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to know that if we get a few steps behind, Jesus isn't waiting to berate us, but welcomes us to catch up. God, for this week, inspire us and empower us to practice prayer in all the various ways prayer looks in our various lives. Help us to practice prayer to give time and attention and focus during our day to you. God, help us to develop practices of reading prayers or writing prayers, of keeping prayer journals, of sharing prayers with one another, of praying together, that help us learn to practice prayer. And God, as we pray, and as we begin to see the world differently, give us the courage to share the good news that we have. That the way we learn to see the world through the cross and the empty tomb is indeed the way the world is. Because you have created the world, and you have redeemed the world. Help us to live as ministers of reconciliation as agents of redemption as people who know your good news deeply enough in us 
that it draws us to pray. We give ourselves to you, great God, in Jesus' name. Amen.